Hi, I'm Ben and welcome to Field and Foley episode 16. Joining us today is Jason Smith, the mastermind behind the retro shooter Cultic. His passion for game development ignited in his early teens and persisted, leading to him working on games even while pursuing studies in graphic design and working in full-time jobs. As of March 2021, Jason embarked on a thrilling journey, signing the 3D Realms to work full-time on his labor of love, Cultic. So hello, Jason, and thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Oh, well, you're absolutely welcome. It's always nice to always nice to catch up with you, you know, the once every two years that we get to do it in person. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, people are probably wondering why you are here today, because I mean, the podcast is called Field and Foley and you're a solo game developer. Um, but we met at Realms Deep um, this year, actually 2023. And we talked about your game, especially because I, I really like your game, Cultic. And, um, and we met in a field, which is where, you know, it comes from. Yeah, yeah, we met in the field, naked. No, but I mean, we <laughs> <laughs> we talked that's about how you get the foley. Yeah, that's how you get the foley. Yeah. No, we talked especially about um, gun foley because I like I overheard you talk about um, your gun foley that you really didn't like how guns sound in other games. That um, you, as as a person that yeah is acquainted with guns, you hear those sounds and you're like, okay, this gun sounds like it's broken. I wouldn't like pull the trigger on this one. I would like, <laughs> I, I think this this would explode in my face. Right? That's how you started. Yeah, um, I talk about. Uh, I guess I don't really want to like name name names, but. Um, it's it's always fun when uh, especially games have like extremely excessive amounts of gun rattle, mm-hmm. um, like like when like ADSing uh, or aiming down the sights just makes it. It sounds like you're like rattling a bucket of bolts around, and it's like oh my god, like the the firing pit on this is gonna go straight into my eye like as soon as I, um, as soon as uh, this thing comes down. Yeah, and so um, that that means like you wanted to do something different with with Cultic and decided to record them yourselves. Do you have like any? prior experience in Foley recording especially or in gun recording or was this just something like okay I need I need sounds that like sound really realistic and better than than I'm used to and so I have to do it myself uh so I did um I recorded a lot of the handling uh Foley myself the uh the, like the gunshots and stuff are mostly uh mixed with existing audio sources because unfortunately uh I don't have the I don't really have the equipment to record gunshots um, or mm-hmm. the recording space to do it um, and you're not supposed to fire guns inside your house, uh, it turns out. Um, but I did uh, lock myself in a closet surrounded by uh, clothing on all sides, which makes a half-decent uh, acoustic dampener <laughs> so that I could so that I could record stuff. And yeah, just like a lot of the guns I was using in the game I own, um, like the like the mare's leg lever action and the uh, the C96 and and a double barrel uh, break action shotgun, like I own most of those. Um, and so it was like. Well, if I want these like hyper specific sounds, like a good example would be um, with the shotgun. If you only fire one shell and then reload, it plays a, a, a special reload animation where um, your guy breaks the shotgun open um, and then and then like catches one of the shells as it ejects and pushes it back in. And it's like it's hard to find like super specific audio for that. Hmm. And so I was like, well, hell, I'll just I'll just record it then. That's not a big deal. Um, so yeah, a lot of that's just like recorded in my closet um, and. Uh, and then some of the, so, so some it's a mixture of the two. Um, some stuff is from like uh, I've got these libraries of just like just 
like hours of raw gun fully that people have recorded. Um, and so you kind of like fill in the blanks there. Like the, when I did all the C96 sounds, I guess actually it was before I owned one. Um, and so a lot of those were made using, uh, using pre-recorded fully that I mixed together. Um, but once I was able to have a bit bigger of a budget and start um, acquiring the guns I needed to record sounds from, um, which is always nice when you can be a hobbyist gun collector, but you can justify it all as uh, as expenses. You write it off on your taxes. Yeah, it's a business expense. That's interesting. I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I totally get that as like a, a fully person myself. Like the the bunch of weird stuff I bought that is all business expenses. Um, right now I have like a, a ventilator next to me, like uh, the ceiling fan, mm -hmm. um, like a big one, an old one that I bought just because I needed specific like sounds of the fan spinning up, slowing down, and I will probably do some some custom electronics to make the speeding up and slowing down a bit more intricate. And I mean, it's all business expense. Um, at the end of the day, it's all just garbage probably, but it's like, okay, <laughs> everything that makes sounds is good. So um, yeah, I especially got one like from eBay that's very rattly and that's very old because mm -hmm. yeah, I don't need a hyper cool, very silent fan. I need the grimy fan noises. Yeah, it's always fun how specific um, those things wind up needing to be. I remember, um, I remember reading. I think it was a Game Informer article a really long time ago, um, back when um, there there was like a hybrid RTS FPS Command and Conquer game being made. Mm -hmm. I think it was just called Tiberium, maybe, um, which was like a follow up to Tiberian Sun. I, I could be completely wrong on this. This is very old uh, memory, but anyway, the um, but I know the game you're talking of. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and uh, and one of the one of the people working on it get, did an interview, and they were talking about how like um, they're talking about the audio design and how he he was like eating breakfast with his family, and uh, his his one his like toddler son was like dragging his like a plastic fork across a plastic plate, and it kind of just made like this little like whoop sound, and he was <laughs> like, that would be an awesome sound for like sci-fi bullets whizzing by the player and so he's like so i just grabbed my son's like his son's plate and, and fork and washed it and then like took it uh took it with him to work uh it was just kind of, but it's just like cool stuff like that that's like oh yeah um so that's why i have to write off you know 200 pounds of celery that i buy because i'm just making like bone crunching noises for the <laughs> entire year yeah the classic celery noises yeah yeah it's also like you, you develop a ear for for like Whenever you hear something interesting, you're always like, okay, well, what was that right now next to me? Like mm -hmm. maybe someone on the plane or maybe someone on the train station eats something or has like a box that makes a specific sound. And it's always like, oh, fuck, I wish I had that exact box because that opening sound is so juicy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a uh, curse and, and it's also, it's also kind of fun, but still, I mean. Well, the other, and the other curse about, I guess not so much like being a fully artist, but as much as like an audio designer is um, when you start to become like super super familiar with certain sound libraries. Mm -hmm. um, there's, um, there is a, I don't know the name of the library, but there's a particular sound library that's used uh, heavily in, um, in Seven Days to Die, which is something my, uh, my wife and I play a lot mm -hmm. together. Yeah, and that it's like, and then, yeah. Um, and then we were watching a show, I think it was The Watcher on Netflix, maybe. Um, and they use the exact same sound library in almost everything. And so it's like when, um, like like when the character in the show went to like open their mailbox, it's like the sound of opening a mailbox in Seven Days to Die, and I'm just like, I know that sound. And then and then down to like when you know like when the the lead actress like opens a drawer in her kitchen and shuffles for something, it's like the sound of when you like search a pile of papers on the ground in Seven Days to Die, and and then like the sound of lighting a pipe bomb in Seven Days to Die is like a super commonly used um, sound for like lighting a fuse. Um, on like dynamite or something in, in, in TV shows. And so we just like, you catch that stuff all the time and you're like, ah. 
And it's weird because it almost makes like the production value of the thing you're watching feel cheap. Cause it's like, wait, mm-hmm. like if I, if I could get that sound effect, like <laughs> it's uh, like when you hear music that's written using a sample library that you also own, it's just like, oh man, if I could have written this, then, you know, is it really Hollywood quality? <laughs> Yeah, I'm guessing like this is, I mean, the Wilhelm scream is the one that like almost everyone knows. Um, everyone knows that kind of scream, but you have a lot lot of other ones that um, quickly start to like, people that start to notice like this sounds the same. Or even people that don't really like care about sound, they are on a subconscious level like accustomed to those sounds and then they, they yeah, they react kind of the same. Like they say like, oh, this show, I don't know. The sound wasn't that great or it didn't feel that great or something like that. Because mm-hmm. if you have, especially if you have those disconnects, if you have a sound that's not quite fitting, for example, if you have like a, I don't know, let's say a fridge door opens and it's way too heavy, the sound, or it's way too light, that's something on a subconscious level you always notice and it always brings you out of the immersion. It always feels a bit cheap and like a, yeah, like a like a parlor trick then, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite examples of this is... Uh, um, and I, and I had to point this out when I made my, my, my wife, uh, watch walking dead with me is, um, there's a, um, and I won't spoil it even though this, uh, you know, this episode aired like 12 years ago, but, um, there is an episode where, um, Rick, the lead character of the show has to, has to basically put down one of his, one of, one of his friends and team members because they are, they're bitten and they don't want to turn. Mm. Um, and it's like the super dramatic, like season finale. Cause it's a character that's been on the show for a long time. Um, but of course like Ritz or Rick's iconic weapon is, is a, is a revolver. And so, you know, of course it's, um, and so they, uh, and so it's like this really, this really like intense scene. He's got like the revolver put like pointed at the head of the person and the camera kind of like pans away and looks away. And then like the season ends on a cut to black where you hear him fire his gun but the sound effect they used is like um it's a sound of a of a of a gun firing and then a, a, a casing hitting the floor mm, yeah yeah and it's like and of course revolvers don't eject casings and so it's just kind of one of those things that like you're like wait a second <laughs> like i'm pretty sure i've heard this sound effect in family guy before <laughs> yeah i i knew exactly what you were talking about because uh, even even though i'm not a gun nut it's sometimes these things are like very very weird. I mean, it's the same like with with all those movies where you hear a shotgun fire three times before they reload, and you're like, uh, I'm pretty sure there was a double barrel, but like just <laughs> two shells in them. I'm, I'm not a gun person, but that doesn't fit. And uh, yeah, those those little things. And yeah, as I said, even if you're not notice it like consciously, if if a lot of those errors add up, then you feel like it's yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors. I mean, it is all smoke and mirrors, but it's yeah, like, yeah, the suspension of disbelief that gets. The, that really gets uh, hurt in the process, and yeah, sound is sound is a big factor of that. Yeah, my wife and I are watching. We're rewatching an old uh, an old forensics uh, kind of like uh, it's called Forensics Files, but it's like an old crime documentary show, um, and it's from like I want to say the late '80s and early '90s. Um, and they, so of course, with it being a crime uh, record, uh, dramatization show, they they recreate a lot of scenes, and of course, they do a lot of there's a lot of like gun homicide in there, so. Every single time they fire a gun in one of these dramatizations, it's like that classic stock Magnum Deagle sound, <laughs> yeah. um, like the, the, the counter the, one. Yeah, the ca- that's like the Counter Strike Desert Desert Eagle sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. in like every single, like any any time anybody's ever firing a gun. But it's like every it's like uh, what kills me is they use it when um, that's like. It's like, you know, her husband shot her with a 22 caliber pistol and then it plays this gigantic like Magnum sound. And it's like, I mean, like a 22 is like a step above a BB gun in terms of like in terms of noise. Like it's certainly not quiet, but, you know, it's not 
this like giant thundering sound. Yeah. Uh, it's just that that stuff's always kind of funny too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and uh, I'm guessing you as a gun person like notice this in all the media and all the the video games. And how do you like for your own game? How did you like approach it? Do you do you go with like this the realism and the sound first and then the gameplay? I mean, I'm guessing. For bullet amounts in the magazine, that's probably not true, right? Because you need to balance like the the weapons. But I mean, with reload timings, for example, animations and and the sounds, is it like something that is high on your priority list, and you try to make it as as authentic as possible? Um, so there's kind of a there's kind of like a, a general rule I try to follow of not sacrificing player experience for authenticity. Mm -hmm. um, like I I, re I really want to respect the source material in that sense, um, especially for, um, you know, like for people who are like gun nuts to speak or, or people who are just, you know, enthusiastic about it, or even whether that's like, maybe that's just fully designed instead of it being gun specifically. But, um, so you want to like, you want to be faithful to that part of it. Like you don't want to use what's blatantly like, you know, like a, a shotgun for, you know, what's supposed to be a smaller caliber, excuse me, smaller caliber pistol. Um, but at the same time, you also don't want like, you don't want to also just use like a raw recording of a shotgun firing for your sound because that's basically just like it's just it's just a pop and that's it. Mm. And and it may and it may be more authentic, but it's not it's not very interesting to listen to. Um and, and so it's it's probably like a balance of the two. Like you want it to be you want it to be like respectful of of you know the, the weapon that you're firing and the experience you would have with that. Um but you don't want it to be so authentic that it that it sacrifices player experience, and so it's kind of it's kind of like trying to meet in the middle there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, what I really appreciate is um, what we already talked about, like the it's not rattling around when you just when you just switch weapons or when you run around with a gun. It's not like rattling, like like you said, like balls in a bucket, yeah. which is sometimes in games where it's like, why 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 would it do that sound? I mean, it it yeah, it feels like it would just. Yeah, exploding your face. Um, so that's really cool. Yeah, and, and like and like a little bit of rattle is fine. Like especially yeah, especially course. things that are gonna have like attachments on them or carry handles. Um, like there's there's gonna be a little bit of movement in, with the like with the internal parts of the gun or maybe just a little bit of rattle of like the magazine and the magazine well. But um, but you know it's it's certainly not um, especially like um uh like <laughs> especially like in shows where like anytime somebody like raises up a gun it plays like a shotgun pumping sound. <laughs> Um, and it's just like, well, I mean, that's, that's not exactly how that works, but you know, it's close enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to use that in, in, in weird ways. For example, I used like a shotgun reload sound for somebody like just drawing up. It was, it was a cartoon scene I did sound for and he draw up this really big hammer and it was like a, like it's just a reload sound before he hits the guy. And, uh, for this creative uses, I think that the shotgun sound is always, always the one yeah, to yeah. go. But yeah, I think what what probably is interesting is though to design some kind of sound when you're switching weapons so the player knows what weapons he's on right like right mm -hmm. from a sounds perspective um you already know like you have a little like equip sound or whatever you want to call it right right um well in uh well in like in cultic specifically i actually don't really use equip sounds at all um all right that's right yeah um ex yeah so the about the most you get in terms of like weapon handling audio is like um like aiming down the scope on the FG42 has a little bit of scope rattle that is honestly probably violating my own views on weapon rattling because it's it's pretty rattly um but I didn't want it to be like you know completely silent either um but I I didn't wind up going with equip sounds um for most of the weapons just kind of like for that same reason that 
I don't know, like if, you, if you're raising up this weapon, it really wouldn't make all that much sound. Um, and then to me, I kind of felt like it would get annoying maybe hearing that over and over again. Um, but, you know, that, that's probably going to that's probably going to change person to person on how they prefer that. You know, maybe some people like really, really like um, the experience of, you know, ha having that cacophony of like rattles and clicks when you when you pull a weapon up on the screen. And I guess part of that's also like the um, like, I guess, like the style of animation, too, of how you get it out, because, you know, if you if you're like a like a more over the top action game and getting out, you know, when you equip a, a pistol, your guy like pulls it out and spins it on his finger and then like slaps it down into his palm. Like that would be something that you would really want to have um, some good audio on. So I guess it probably just depends on the situation. Yeah, that, that makes sense probably. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of uh, sounds you recorded yourself, like what, what of the sounds would you like to record yourself and can't, I mean, we spoke already about the, the gunshots, but I'm, I'm thinking about you're doing all the sound yourself. Um, so for everything else, like for doors, for footsteps, for whatever else you have in there, is this something where you like you try to go to a library first because it's the quickest way, and you're like a one-man <laughs> developer studio, or is there like specific things where you're like, okay, I, I need something specific, and I'm gonna like go out and try to record it myself? Um, so far, I haven't really encountered any um, any sounds that were aside from weapon fully nothing that was like so specific that I couldn't just find it in a library. Um, and for the most part, yeah, be, being a solo developer really means having to pick your battles and like what you want to spend time and energy on. And uh, as much as it would be cool to do, uh, going out and recording the perfect door opening sound effect isn't something that I that I'm going to have time to do every time I need a new sound. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, most of that stuff I, I used to just use um, like uh, I used to use free sound a whole lot, um, mm -hmm. just, which is just mostly people recording uh, their own raw fully for folks that aren't familiar with it. Um, and a lot of that stuff is just, um, like free creative commons attribution. Um, and so it's nice to use that as a starting point. And then, um, you kind of mix that together with commercial sounds that you might have. Um, and then, and then beef the audio up. And then in my case, crunch it back down again for the final, um, for the final product. But I recently switched to using, um, Soundly, which is, mm. a, which I was originally really skeptical of, um, because it's like a, it's like a subscription based audio service. Yeah. Um, but it wound like the libraries it has um, are like pretty impressive. And so that and that's just like it's like an application on your computer that you just pop open and you just like type in what you need. And uh, and then whatever. And then you look at the sounds and I've pretty much always been able to find something that's almost perfect for what I need. And then you can just open it in Audacity directly from there. And so that has sped up audio design by uh, by a ton because I'm not um, for stuff that's a little more. A little more niche or like you would really need to have like an actual recording space and decent equipment to record it um like things like uh, uh like explosions and 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 destruction and, and rubble and stuff like that that's um that's a little harder to just go out in your backyard and produce um it's really nice to have like a, a pretty a pretty comprehensive library just like at your fingertips for that yeah, exactly the same for me. I mean, recording explosions, for example, is some of the most involved things you can do. Um, also, like fire, everything that's like more than a little bonfire is um, mm -hmm. something that requires planning, professionals, and uh, yeah. Also, you need a good space and great microphones um, to get just the thing you want to. So, yeah, I'm, I'm relying on libraries as well for that stuff. Um, but yeah, soundly, I, I've heard of it, but I've never used it. But I'm, I think I'm gonna look into it because it's probably also interesting for some stuff if you like in a pinch and need something very specific. Um, so far I have to, yeah, I usually try to do it myself 
Um, or what I also do is I use library sounds, but I also try to mix in my own sounds with them. So it's not always the same stock sound, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, especially for fire, for explosions, I have those uh, those libraries. And I don't want to buy like hundreds or hundreds of libraries of those sounds. So I use those and then I do something else and mix that in and try to design something else out of it that, yeah, that fits the current scenario. Um, yeah, I I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of that with um with my weapon audio because you know there's like I've got like a handful of gunshot sounds that work really well as like a bass like they have um they have just the right amount of pop they aren't peaking out the audio they've got just the right amount of like um uh they're like you know just crispy enough just punchy enough um but they don't have much for like they don't, they don't really have any kind of tail on them and there's not really much for like the weapon dynamics um. And so using that as like a base and then you kind of, you know, you go and get the report or the, you know, like the trail off from a, from a different sound that better matches the caliber or style of weapon. And then uh, maybe you go and like grab a dry fire sound from like, if you're making, like if it's a handgun, uh, maybe go get like the dry fire off of like a 1911. um, Just so you have like a a tiny bit of that, that mechanical metal Mm. sound as the, as the shot happens. And um, and then, like when I was record or when I was building the sound effect for the um, the the uh, the semi-automatic shotgun in Interlude, or the uh, it's well, uh, most people recognize it as a Browning Auto Five, but it's technically a Model Eleven because that's what I own and used. But the two are like virtually identical. Um, but a big a big part of that gun is that the it has this this super heavy bolt on it that. Um, makes like a pretty distinctive sound when it slams forward after it chambers the next round. Um, and so, you know, like I didn't record the shotgun firing myself, but um, I did record um, like the sound of the bolt going back and then slamming back forward so that you have a nice, like, like a m- nice metallic um, addition on top of that firing sound that makes it a lot more uh, unique than just like a, a pop, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, those kinds of clunks and, and like clicks and metallic... I don't know how, how to call them, impacts, whatever you want to call them. There are so many different variants, but still, um, this is something, for example, that I find really hard to search in a library for because when I'm searching for, for example, a reload sound or like a switch, a big switch, I have a big switch in a game and I want that sound for. If I'm looking for switches, I can listen to, I don't know, 10 hours of switches maybe. Mm-hmm. And there are so many different things with different components in them, with different, like, harshness and yeah heaviness and you can feel like the material so um yeah but that that's why i feel that i really need to record a lot of them myself because it's quicker and it's also a more direct way of getting exactly what i want um and especially like performing something is uh, is something that you always want or need to do if you have a specific animation or you have if you have something and the second thing that really irks me is that when i find the perfect library sound and then i have one sound and I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to repeat this one sound in this game where you can push switches for hundreds of times, so you need like variations. So then either you use that sound, try to cut it up and mix something else in it, or you like just design your own and make variants out of that. Um, that's like, yeah, I think recording your own sound is always preferable if you can. Yeah, um, that's probably the one, like, uh, that's pro- I guess that's probably the thing that separates me from um, as like, as like an audio designer from people who are, I would say, you know, fully enthusiast is my, <laughs> my willingness to pour money into, uh, into audio design, because that like, that's, that's one, that's one thing I don't have equipment for. 
Um, and I mean, I have like a, I have like a zoom field recorder that I use, um, that I used for like all the closet stuff, but it would be awesome to have equipment that can record in, um, like at higher frequencies. So you can slow stuff down without losing, um, without losing so much quality. And, but I mean, like, man, that's just, that's just a, a whole other realm of, of equipment that I haven't invested in. And I'm not sure if I'll ever have the, the time, the time to really put into it. Yeah, I'm happy to come over and record all your guns with all my equipment. I just bring my whole bag of microphones and the recorder. <laughs> yeah, we just we just have to go find somewhere to shoot them. But uh, luckily, I will. I guess I'll, I have that covered. Yeah, that's the nice thing about living in the middle of nowhere is it's not too hard to find somewhere to go to go shoot. That is always something that's. I mean, you probably guess it, but it's it's always something that's very weird for me as a European. It's just like okay, you can just not only own guns, but you can go out in the middle of nowhere and shoot some guns because like it's a free country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you definitely you want to do it on uh the biggest thing about that is like understanding uh the range that you're at um especially when like you know you're firing a you could be firing bullets that have a multiple mile uh travel distance that they are, are still lethal over mm. um and so we uh if we go out and shoot we've got a couple of basically like some farmland where we've got um like big dirt berms set up so you can basically fire downhill into the dirt um and even if you were to egregiously miss you know there's no no roads or other property for for several miles so it's kind of nice to have that to have that freedom and otherwise i guess you you would go to a range but i don't know how difficult it would be to to set up recording in an environment like that that has no audio dampening and is basically just like made of concrete <laughs> would yeah. be there'd be a lot a lot of uh a lot of reverb to deal with yeah absolutely that's not preferable <laughs> it would be something i would love to to like be a part of someday that I don't have to buy all the equipment for it would be like a, like a professional uh, recording shoot for uh, like either guns or explosions, like just so something that deals with like, you know, some of those sounds that are extremely hard to capture due to like just the volume and the, the risk and everything. That would be a cool, a cool process to be a part of sometime. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I mean, I've never fired a gun in my life, so I have no idea. Um, so I, I would need as, at least a professional for gun safety and for all the, as you just said, like knowing what range they are, how to handle them and what to do. Um, but I mean, uh, the same thing would, would go for me for like explosions, gunfires. And the third thing that I'd really like to do at some point is uh, either like jets or, or planes, um, which I hopefully, oh, yeah. I have something lined up. Uh, hopefully it works out, but um, maybe even have like a recorder on a plane, on a small plane. And um yeah, and maybe race cars or something like that. That's also interesting. I've I've seen like the behind the scenes of uh, the Gran Turismo stuff and mm -hmm. um, all those like games that are really specific where they mic up like a whole car with like twenty microphones in all the different places, and then they have all this massive amount of material. And then the audio integration stage is amazing because it's all like physics based. So when the physics change, the sound changes appropriately, and all that stuff is like really interesting to me on a, on a oh, technical yeah. level, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would be uh that would be that would be a really cool set to be a part of. Um I also wonder like I don't think I would want to do this because I think it would be incredibly tedious. Um but mm. the um the setup for doing like recordings for like virtual instruments, I think it'd be really cool too, just like to look at that process. Where it's like, all right, we like here here's a cello and we need you to play uh every single note a cello can play and in these like sixteen different styles. Yeah. Um and, <laughs> and intensities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause it's like the like the library I use for virtual composition. I mean, yeah, it's like if you pull up any given instrument, you've got, um, you know, like like at least like ten different styles, and then depending on um, the way you set the note velocity, you know, it's going to mm -hmm. change the the attack on the 
on the note as well. And it's, it's crazy. Like that just seems like a ridiculous amount of work. Yeah, that is, that is definitely something that's interesting to me. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting hopefully a guest on the show that, that did something like that. Um, it's also on my list of, of, of things to have. And uh, speaking about that, I mean, you're also doing, you're, you're doing everything, right? You're doing the programming, you're doing the art, you're doing the sound and the music for your game, right? Right. And um, I, I heard you mentioned the term selective bit crushing. Um, so can you maybe tell us a bit more about your approach to, to that? Yeah, so um, the audio design is kind of targeting that, um, like that build engine era audio where you kind of got a lot of, of bit crushing going on just in order to um, to fit all of the sound, uh, I assume A, onto whatever disk it came on, but also uh, B, into the, the limited amount of uh, RAM the system had available. So those file sizes had to be had to be small. And, and like, I, and of course, at the time, it was a system limitation, but um, for anybody who was playing those games, you know, like that, that audio, um, like that style just kind of becomes like, uh, like it's, it's just, you associate it with, with playing that kind of game. Um, almost like, I think like the best example I have of it is, um, in Duke Nukem 3D, when you go underwater, um, like the underwater loop that plays is, is extremely bit crushed. Um, but it's just like, it, it's just, it's just like an aesthetic at that point, you know? Um, yeah. and so it's like, I want to, I want to capture that aesthetic, but without the loss of fidelity that comes with it. Um, because of course, when you when you're bit crushing to that level, uh, something like um, like a, a soft wind loop, like like just like an eerie wind loop for ambience, uh, would get completely destroyed by bit crushing to the point mm -hmm. where it would just be terrible to listen to. And and you know, there's some build engine games where that's that's very apparent. Like it's like this. This this was maybe supposed to be a nice soft whistling, but it's turned into like this this horrible sound. Um, and so, um, and so I kind of did a bit of like selective bit crushing um, in Cultic, where I'm not just taking a sound and slapping a bit crush on a filter on top of it and calling it a day, but I am making sure that I save parts of that sound that are important. Um, and just introducing the bit crushing to the point where you kind of get that, that gritty graininess to the sound, um, but without losing, um, like the dynamics and the, and kind of like the, the texture and flavor of the sound. So mm -hmm. a good example would be like, um, like the, the C96 firing sound effect. Um, there's a lot of metal in that sound, a lot of like hearing like the C96's hammer slapping down and and getting pushed back and, and there's a, you hear a lot of that in the audio but if you just bit crush the entire clip you lose all of it yeah um and it just kind of turns into like a, a little like crunchy belch on top of what is otherwise like a pretty clear gunshot um and so in that case um a lot of times that came down to uh rendering the sound out twice um where render you render out the first time as the bit crushing so that is like like just a pretty a pretty thick bit crush applied to the whole thing and then you render it out a second time um, completely clean. And then you basically are just EQing the two against each other. Um, so like if I'm really wanting to keep the high-end metal part of the sound, and that's what gets lost in the bit-crushed version, um, then in the bit-crushed version, you kind of drop the high-end of the EQ down. So you're, you're kind of like getting rid of that part of the audio waveform. Yeah. And then in the clean version, you're doing the inverse. Like for the deep uh, gunshot uh, part of it, you want the crusty version, and so you kind of um, you kind of lower the EQ for those ranges on the uh, 
on the uh, the clean sound and um and so that's kind of that's generally how all of those sounds were produced and in some cases it was more of just lowering the amount of bit crushing that was happening um and that's probably most prevalent on like like ambient loops um like interior because like like those like interior drones um and like interior room samples um i'm a really big fan of using but bit crushing destroys them completely uh, to the point where they're just not usable anymore and so stuff like that i i would basically leave the sample completely intact um but then bit crush like a um like just like a more generic like tone and then use kind of like the texture from that um and overlay it onto the otherwise pretty clean room tone uh, almost like almost like when you do a virtual composition and it's like mm. mostly clean because it's virtual so then you layer some hall noise on top of it um so it sounds more like a live recording so it's kind of like i guess it's kind of like that um, and then the music is, uh, does something similar where the music is a, is a combination of a, a highly bit crushed custom sound font that I made, um, that uses like really short, crunchy instrument, uh, samples, kind of like you would hear on like, maybe like an N64 and then also combines it with full quality, um, orchestral samples. So you kind of get, um, you get the flavor of that kind of retro sound with, you know, the, with the shorter instrument samples, um, and the more, um, I guess like synthesized sound on it, but then you also aren't just crushing the entire track where it hurts to listen to. And the crispiness of your, of your strings is completely gone. And you know, the, the depth of the bass is completely gone because you've crushed it out. And so you get to keep, um, the nice, the nice texture on your music, but you still get to inject a bit of that, retro crunchy aesthetic on top of it yeah so it's like a hi-fi lo-fi thing and uh yeah i really noticed it in the, in the music um pretty early on it was like oh this instrument sounds like really full and then you have like those crunchy bits on top and it's it, it fits all together and uh it made me wonder like in the beginning i thought you had at least someone for like the music or for the sound or something so what's really interesting to me is like how did you also get into like the whole sound design sphere and like knowing about all those techniques about um is it a lot of trial and error or do you have some kind of education in in sound uh, it's pretty much all just trial and error um out of necessity um just i've been doing uh game development since i was uh i was pretty young maybe like 12 or so granted i wasn't really making anything good back then but you know it was still it was still game dev so needing sound effects for my game kind of led me to all of the free sound effect websites and the crusty corners of the internet and uh and uh, and then eventually you know learning how to kind of like mix my own stuff and then which uh, which i think started off as just like pulling sounds into a uh, windows sound recorder and the only options you really had there was to like increase the volume by 25 percent or decrease the speed by 100 <laughs> percent and so it was like the amount so it was like i could take a gunshot and make it sound like a huge blown out explosion um and then eventually getting into audacity and more you know more advanced editing techniques um and then i started getting into like midi writing um because i really wanted to be able to make my own music but of course i don't know anything about music and i i still don't still can't read sheet music and uh and then uh, yeah so just over time you just kind of learn what works and learn what doesn't work and um and then when i was um uh out of like kind of when i got like my first job as an adult um i spent a, a decent chunk of change on finally uh, getting some like professional uh, orchestral samples. And so I could, you know, I could actually start messing with those instead of using only synthesizers, which is pretty limiting if you're wanting to do 
more like, you know, epic orchestral stuff. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just been a really long learning experience. Um, but it's basically all just, like you said, trial and error. And just like, I just write stuff that I think sounds good to me. Um, and luckily that, that tends to work out <laughs> pretty well, but I don't really know anything about music theory and, uh, I could read bass clef decently when I was uh, a percussionist in high school, but I certainly can't anymore. So it's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not definitely not a musician and definitely wouldn't be very useful uh, in, in a chamber, but um, it, when, it, when it comes to sitting at my computer, I'm just dangerous enough to to make it work. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, I just have to say it, it works out great because um, I really like the sound and the music and I didn't expect it to be all all by yourself. Um, so yeah, great job on that. Well, thank you. And uh, yeah, but speaking about that, is it is it something you want to do like your whole life doing like projects on your own? Is it something that you you really like to hold the projects close to your chest and do the stuff you want to do and not deal with like splitting up tasks and communicating like issues and something like that? Or is it for the future, maybe something interesting for you to be part of a bigger dev team? Um, I don't think I'll probably ever want to work, um, as part of a team just because like, I mean, part of the whole reason that I do everything myself is because I'm so, I'm so controlling <laughs> when it comes to just like, Like I, I usually have like a very specific vision for how I want something to to look and feel and sound. And I don't, A, I don't know how to articulate that half the time. Like I couldn't put it on paper and have somebody else do it. Like I, I could never have put Cultic on paper and given it to someone and been and they would have made it the way that it is because I just, I don't know how to articulate all that stuff. Um, and, and B would just be like, um, I, I, wanna, I don't want to have to compromise on any of that. Um, and I feel like as part of a team, you don't always get to explore all of your ideas um, just because well, maybe you don't have time or maybe that's not, you know, I, I'm the programmer. So I, I don't get to, I don't get to artistically express myself in terms of the sound or music because they've got somebody for that. So my ideas wouldn't mm. be, um, wouldn't be listened to. And that, and that's just p part of what makes game dev so fun is just like the learning and the, and the, and the experimenting and the exploration and, and putting a new idea on paper and seeing it come to life and, um, and I feel like, you know, you don't get to, you don't get that like pure creative expression, um, if you're not in charge of the project, mm. but I also don't want to be in charge of other people either. because I don't, you know, I don't want to make some, I don't want to make some poor guy redo a sound for the 20th <laughs> time because it's not, it's not quite crusty enough or it's, you know, it's not quite right. Um, uh, or not quite how I imagined it. And I just, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the managerial type, so that doesn't really sound like a good time to me either. So Uh, my goal is that I would, you know, I've wanted to be a game dev since I was, uh, since pretty much as far back as I can remember. It's always been something that's really interested me. Um, and so I'm really hoping that I can continue to, to uh, I can continue to do solo development in a way that sustains me because I think going back to like a regular eight to five job would, would like actually kill me right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> like being on, being able to work, uh, on my own projects, um, at my own pace and stuff has been, has been extremely liberating and, um, and as you know, is about, about as close to a, a dream come true as you can get in terms of like getting to do your dream job. Um, and so that the idea of that not working out is, uh, something I try not to think about. <laughs> We're just going to hope it, that doesn't happen. Yeah. I'm rooting for you. And, um, it's really cool to, to hear that, that you're like really 
know that that's what you want to do and how you want to do it. Um, so so I hope, yeah, financially it works out in, in the long term. That that would be the only concern I have. Like for myself, if, if I would be responsible for all the projects myself, it would be okay. But I'm also responsible for them. So if anything goes wrong, it's like it's from downhill from there. Yep. But I can really respect the, the whole like, yeah, I have this vision and I want to make it like just the way I want to make it. And I don't want to, yeah, order people around and, and articulate stuff. Um, sometimes it's it's also like, Sometimes you can't really articulate, you just do, and then you see what comes out of it and see, oh, that's what I wanted to do, right? Yeah, and it's just, um, it's one of those things that like, when I, you know, when I, when I start working on a game, I don't, uh, or not even just a game, but it could be a song or a sound effect or whatever. Um, I don't always know if the idea I have is even good. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that is just like, and this happens so often with music, especially, is like part of that process is just like, sitting down and putting everything on paper and sometimes it sometimes it sucks uh, you know mm -hmm. like half of there's like there's this you know a decent folder of like cultic b-sides of tracks that i never that never got finished because like they did i didn't it was a bad idea like it just didn't sound as good as i thought um but part of what makes that so rewarding is getting to learn that you know getting to getting to sit down and, and try that thing and, and learn that it doesn't work, but learn why it doesn't work. Like, well, you know, like this idea I had, you know, the song doesn't sound good because it was way too repetitive. Like I didn't have a fleshed out enough uh, melody for it. So it just turned out really repetitive or, you know, even it could even be something like the, like the ability system and cultic um, that got scrapped because it just like, like uh, it worked fine. You know, like the code is there, the, the, the feature works, but it just didn't, it just didn't fit the game. Like it was a bad fit for the game. Mm. Um, but you know, like I wouldn't, I would never have been satisfied coming up with the idea and then having somebody say that wouldn't work. Like, you know, like, well, I, I want to try it though. Like I want to see what it feels like. Um, and not, and not being able to do that would, would suck. <laughs> Cause, um, you know, it's, it's not about, and that sounds like kind of conceited or selfish when I say it out loud, but it's like, it's not like, like, I'm sure I'm right. But like, if I'm wrong, I want to know why, like, I want to know why this wouldn't work. And I, and I need to have that hands-on experience myself. Um, so that's, and that, that's a really important part of, um, of the learning process for me is, is kind of understanding why things work and more importantly, like why they don't work. Yeah. I mean, that's a real, like the science approach to it, right? You, you test it and, um, I'm, I'm, I'm saying normally you never can say before you test an idea if it works or not because sometimes the weirdest stuff has worked where people have said like, oh, this will never work out and someone managed to do it in like matching some strange genres together or making some strange styles and musical styles. Um, and it's like, uh, yeah, you always have to test your ideas. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, I, I have my fair share of things that I did. I think I built, um, what did I call it? Uh, alien flesh bagpipe instrument uh -huh. <laughs> I think like that so I needed something or I wanted something specific for creature sound I was doing and um, it was a lot of work and it didn't work out it sounded really horrible like not in a good way horrible I wanted it to sound horrible monstrous but it was just not interesting and, and but yeah as you said I, I learned a lot why it didn't work and what kind of things I, I needed to do different and um, yeah it's like every time something fails I know I'm on the right path because I learned something new and yeah, you just have to be persistent and, and try out new stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, then for you, game, if you put it out there, is it is it something you do? You have like playtesters, like friends to test it and give you feedback, or overall, like is the player feedback something that's that's important to you to change or to adjust something in the game, or is it always something that comes like from yourself? If you're like satisfied with how it works, then that's the game you want to make, or is it? Also, sometimes um, has it happened that people have said like, "Hey, this doesn't really work because X, Y," 
and then you overhaul it. Um, player player feedback is is super important. Um, yeah, I mean in general, but also to the development of Cultic. Um, but I I'm also one of those people that's like don't look at it till I'm done. Um, <laughs> okay. Very very often, and so like um, I usually like when I'm like if I'm posting progress on something that I'm working on, I'm usually not interested in feedback at that time i'm interested in feedback when it's when it's done because mm. i don't think that the feedback um i don't think the feedback is that is is entirely useful until the entire idea is out there and you can see it for its whole part and then after that yes absolutely like community feedback um was super important which is why you know cultic had had two demos and um and, and there was a lot of interaction um with the community there and so as, as long as you know as long as i'm able to to put the whole thing out there after I get it to a point where I'm happy with it, um, then it's much easier to digest feedback because if I get that feedback before it's done, then it's like, well, it's not done yet. So like, you know, it, but it, it'll be better when it's done. But if I but if it gets to the point where I'm like, okay, no, this is, this is the way I want it to be. Then I can kind of step back and look at it um, through the scope of other people's feedback um, without kind of that nagging voice in the back of my head that says, well, you know, it's not done yet. I mean, you, you guys just got to finish it first and, and then it will look better or whatever, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I also feel sometimes if you have an unfinished work, you're, you're trying to explain the players what you want them to see. Like, it's like, don't look at this, but like, imagine this would be there and then this would work like that. And um, so, yeah, I can I can totally relate to that. You you have to have like the full experience at least there. It doesn't have to be the full game, but the full the idea has to be fleshed out enough for them to realize what it is you want to do and then then go from there. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe something for the future. Um, do you have anything exciting in the pipelines? Um, I mean, probably Cultic Chapter 2, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is that. Um, so yeah, I'm working on Chapter 2 of Cultic um, right now. Um, and so, which is nice because it's, it's a kind of being in the groove when it comes to audio and music where I feel like I've kind of got that because there, you know, even, even if you just like listen to cultic soundtrack, you notice like there's a lot more of like the sound font, crusty instrument stuff in the earlier parts of the game. And then kind of more so as the, as the soundtrack goes on, it starts to get, um, it starts to lean more towards that full, um, like some, you know, that full symphonic sound, mm. um, and so at least so you can kind of tell that the that the game's audio style kind of evolved um, as as it was developed. But I kind of feel like I'm finally at a place where that's pretty consistent. Um, I'm sure there's probably people that would disagree with me, but to me, it, it feels like I'm at a spot where it's not constantly changing. Um, and so it's nice to be able to to work on that and 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 feel confident that um, I have a style that's going to work. So that's always the 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 stressful thing about starting a new project is is finding that that like artistic style um, that's going to define the game um and i i i'm one of those people who i don't like developing games with placeholders um for art and uh and stylistic things um and so like i don't i don't i don't like to even prototype things unless i'm i'm confident about the look and feel of it um and sometimes it takes forever to get to that point so that that can suck um, but then I'm also working on a little side project called Bone Rooms, um, which is just a goofy little uh, multiplayer thing. I'm trying to I'm trying to learn some net code and and get better at um, get better at like online stuff because I have little experience in it right now. And that's like a completely different um, set of audio challenges because that is um, that's much that's you know that's more of like a hi-fi uh, got a bit of like a psychological horror 
feel to it. And so you get to do a lot more with just like really creepy audio. Um, and I mm. don't have to be limited by the, the bit crusher this time around. So it's nice to work free of that limitation. Yeah, that's interesting. So speaking of netcode, so that might mean for Caltic in the future more multiplayer and maybe even no, co-op? Never. Never. Okay, never. that's, uh, that's very, a clear, it, clear no. It, <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried it, um, but Cultic systems are are very complicated. Um, like there, there's just there is a lot going on. Um, and the example I used, I think, when I wrote up my uh, my Steam post about it, was like I was just looking at like uh, like TNT, uh, like the dynamite and Cultic and how that worked. Mm. And it's like not only is it it's like a projectile that the player can throw out, but it's also like a physics object, and enemies can also interact with it, and it can also be shot, and uh, and enemies can kick it around, and like the ghost enemies can pick it up and throw it back at you. And so it's like, it's not, it's, that's for one item. That's like, you know, six different enemies that have to have their code rewritten to work with online. And, and then you've got to deal with like the physics, um, aspect of it and like which client is going to have authority over the physics. And it's, is that was just like one, one small thing, um, just throwing dynamite and then all of the changes that the game's code base would have to undergo, um, to make that work online. Um, it would be really cool for sure, but that would be something like, uh, that would be something where like chapter two sells gangbusters and I have a crazy amount of money to throw at a team to do it for me. Cause I don't mm. like, I, I just don't think I'm going to have the, uh, the motivation to ever, cause I'm, I would have to destroy the code base and write a, a huge chunk of it again from scratch. And I, my oh man, I just, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. At some point, I mean, it's, it's too much. And um, I'm also, I also guessed like the, it, it would be interesting to see what would happen with the slow motion effect, because that's also something that you trigger as a player. Yeah. Um. And so, how would that work in like multiplayer and cope? You would have to lose it or do something weird. I, I don't know. So yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not too too sad about it to be honest, because I really like the experience as a solo game, and uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to chapter two. So. Um, yeah, get on it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I tell people. I'm looking forward to it too. I also want to play it. So let me know when it's done. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that would be good. Okay, so yeah, this one and then your next your next one will be this the multiplayer thing, um, and yeah, that that's like, do you have like just always one project in the pipeline while you're finishing up the last one? Is that the thing you you want to do, or is it like you try different things and whatever sticks gets like a full treatment? Well, this is kind of the first time I've ever been in a position where I have like a project that's actually like finished or close to finished and being sold. Cultic's the first game I've ever. Uh, like chapter one is the first thing I've ever finished and like put out on the market, uh, not counting like little game jam things. Mm. And so this is kind of the first time where I have the prospect of looking at like, what do I do next? Um, because before Cultic, um, as a hobbyist game developer, it was kind of just whenever I got, whenever I got a new fun idea, I would drop whatever I was working on and start on that new thing. Um, and so this is kind of the first time where I actually get to like justifiably say, okay, like what is next? Cause you know, this project's done. Um, but, uh, bone rooms right now is just kind of functioning as a, as, as a, a tool to avoid burnout with cultic, um, because chap chapter one burned me out hard. Um, and I'm trying very hard to avoid that burnout, which unfortunately, well, fortunately for me and unfortunately for the fans means that I'm working, uh, less hours on it and I'm taking much more time for myself when I need it. Cause I mean, cultic was to the point where, I mean, I would work on it like 10 hours a day and then some on the weekends because I was just really wanted to get it out and, you know, be able to pay the bills and things like that. And 
And now that I have the luxury of a little bit of time, um, I'm just like, I, like, I don't want to work those hours again. That was, it was grueling. Mm. And so it's, uh, and so part of that is, yeah, just, just reducing my hours to something a little more realistic, um, taking my weekends back. And, uh, and then if I wake up and I just like, especially when I'm working on something really tough, um, in cultic, um, I, there comes to a point where if I'm forcing myself to work on it, I'm going to be doing so, like subpar work that I'm not very proud of. And so at that point, it's better to step away and shift gears to work on something else. Um, and sometimes I can do that within Cultic. Like if, I, if I'm super burned out on level design, um, I can switch over to like writing music or, or 3D modeling or something that gets me into a different creative space. Um, but sometimes it's just like, I don't want to look at Cultic right now. I want to, I, I want to work on something else. And, and Bone Rooms is, is a small enough project that I don't run the risk of like getting completely immersed in it and turning it into some other huge thing. You know, I can make, I can make big, meaningful changes to that game because it's so small and, you know, just a couple hours of work, I can add things that completely change the game. Um, and it's harder to do that with Cultic because large changes, um, have to be super thoroughly tested. Um, and make and make sure they don't break the entire chapter that's already been released. And and so you know, there's not chapter two doesn't have quite so much innovation going on. You know, it's not the the fun part of game uh, development for me is get you know, like I said before, getting to 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 put new ideas on paper and try them out and see how they work and and that that fun process of uh, discovery and exploration and experimentation. And um, when you're just kind of creating new maps for chapter two. Um, you don't get to do as much of that because I, I don't want to change the gameplay formula. Um, and so you get to do it in, in, in small bits, you know, coming up with new enemies and, and new set pieces, but you don't really get to mess around with those large dramatic, like, oh, this would be such a cool new gameplay feature because it could, you know, completely break the balance of the, of the content that's already out. Um, so, so yeah, it's really, it's nice to have that side project to kind of just like dip into when I'm, when I'm starting to feel the burnout and, um, rather do that than than feel like i'm banging my head against a wall and and working on something i don't want to work on and and so it's it's nice to have that as a, as a backup project yeah that's a, that's a very healthy way of working and um yeah I, yeah it's it's good on you that you don't do like 10 hour days because after a while it's no matter how good you are it's uh, human nature that you start to burn out because you need that kind of rest period and also as you like said if you're burned out you don't you don't do your best work um i myself also try to do that in in my field because um, the good thing is I can either design sounds or I can go out and record sounds or I can even build something to build a, to make a sound so I'm also trying to switch up um, yeah especially when I'm stuck on something that's that's the best thing like do something else um, that's also productive so you, so you don't feel like okay I didn't do anything today um, but yeah even if it's something small something different um, I think that's a good tip for it doesn't matter which which kind of art you do to to switch it up and um, to not, yeah, to not put in ten-hour days consistently. Right. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm all out of questions. So um, the only thing left to do is, if you have any shout-outs, if you want to promote anything. I mean, Cultic, for example, <laughs> <laughs> or anything else. Um, anyone, feel free. The floor is yours. Oh, I mean, yeah. If you haven't checked out Cultic um, and you're a fan of retro retro shooters or or Resident Evil or or horror games in general, um, check that out on Steam. Uh, it's uh, it's only ten bucks, and it's a uh, it's a pretty good time. Uh, plus, you can go uh, you can go experience all this this crunchy audio that we've been talking about so much. Um, and then otherwise, you can follow me and what I'm working on on Twitter at um, JSAWS Games, um, and that'll probably I'm sure be in the description of this show somewhere. Of course, in case you want help spelling it. But that's probably all I got. Awesome. Yeah. So thanks again for taking the time and for speaking fully and audio with me. Sure. Anytime.
Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting on patreon.com slash fieldandfoley or ko-fi.com slash fieldandfoley, where you gain early access to episodes in lossless format and can submit questions for our guests. Thank you for listening.